from the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix, Arizona. Welcome to episode 193 of the What is Truth Catholic podcast. My name is Deacon Steve, and I'm a permanent deacon in the Diocese of Phoenix. Thanksgiving is almost here. There is so much for us to be thankful for. Our lives, our faith, our families, our work. Everything we have is a gift from God. It is easy to be down or depressed this time of year. It is easy to notice what we don't have as opposed to what we do have. But we are called to be stewards of the gifts of God, to use God's gifts to love and serve the Lord and one another. May the Lord give us an attitude of gratitude that we will never take for granted what the Lord has given us. In episode 193 of the What is Truth Catholic podcast, we will first discuss our saint of the week, who is Saint Cecilia, a martyr for the faith. We will hear a homily for the 33rd Sunday of Ordinary Time as we hear Jesus talk to the disciples about what it means to stand up for the truth and justice of God. In the segment, Catholics in the News, we'll learn about a religious order and their efforts for religious freedom. In the segment, Truth in the Media, we will discover a new movie about a Catholic woman who risked her life to save others. In the segment entitled, I Don't Get It, I will attempt to understand a new bill being considered in our nation's capital. Finally, during our Truth Topic of the Week, we will hear the truth from Pope Francis about the Church. All of this, plus music from Angela Dittmar, who sings, I Am the Forgiven. This and more on episode 193 of What is Truth? Saint of the Week Although Cecilia is one of the most famous of the Roman martyrs, the familiar stories about her are apparently not founded on authentic material. There is no trace of honor being paid her in early times. A fragmentary inscription of the late 4th century refers to a church named after her, and her feast was celebrated at least in the year 545. According to legend, Cecilia was a young Christian of high rank, betrothed to a Roman named Valerian. Through her influence, Valerian was converted and was martyred along with his brother. The legend about Cecilia's death says that after being struck three times on the neck with a sword, she lived for three days and asked the Pope to convert her home into a church. Since the time of the Renaissance, she has usually been portrayed with a viola, or a small organ. She is a saint of musicians. Her feast day is November 22nd. Saint Cecilia, who gave her life as a martyr for the faith, our Saint of the Week. Homily of the Week. Today's homily is based on the readings for the 33rd Sunday in Ordinary Time. As we hear Jesus talking about the end of time 
and what the apostles will go through to follow him and to live his justice in the world. On February 23, 1997, a priest by the name of Oscar Romero was installed as Catholic Archbishop of El Salvador. His appointment dismayed a number of people, for he was seen as a person who was friendly to both the government and really not so supportive of reform-minded priests. He would remain silent on human rights, uh, abuses that were occurring throughout the country. Romero soon proved them wrong. During his priesthood time, he had spent with peasant farmers that made up the congregation, of, and his attitude toward politics changed when Romero saw the ways that power and wealth were manipulated to the advantage of a small group of families. For the poor majority, this meant that they were hungry, children died because their parents could not afford medicines, and extreme violence, including beatings, rape, and murder, when they dared object. Two weeks after he was installed as bishop, Archbishop Romero's friend, Father Rutilio Grande, was murdered by the paramilitary. Grande had been creating self-reliance groups among the peasant farmers and was seen to challenge the status quo. Bishop Romero demanded the government investigate the murder, but his demands were met with silence. From this point on, Romero began to stand up against state-sanctioned injustice, and he became more and more vocal. He used masses, public speeches, Sunday sermons, broadcast by radio, to make it clear that the poor were being exploited and violence against those who opposed injustice was unacceptable. The public reported injustices, and he called for the reform of political and economic institutions that allowed the violence and injustice to continue. Romero would not officiate or appear at any governmental events, as he did not want to be seen as endorsing the government. When the government refused to investigate its crimes, Romero began to do so himself. Romero became an outspoken advocate for justice. And then, by all these efforts, he got in the way. And on the 24th of May, 1980, as he was celebrating Mass, Archbishop Romero was gunned down and martyred for the faith. In our first reading for this 33rd Sunday of Ordinary Time, we hear from the prophet Malachi, and he is talking about the fact that there will be a day where the Son of Justice will come. And those who are not ready for that sun will be set ablaze by fire. And those who are ready will receive the healing rays of that sun. In our second reading from Second Thessalonians, we hear St. Paul telling those who are following the Christian way to imitate him, to work, to not be busybodies, to focus on what is important, loving and serving the Lord. And in the gospel, Jesus talks about to the apostles that the end times will come at some day. There'll be insurrections. There'll be all sorts of natural disasters. And at the end, they will be called to speak up to the truth, to be witnesses to the truth, to speak up for the justice of the Lord. And it will take them to places where they don't want to be. And indeed, all of them but St. John were martyrs for the faith. Jesus is the Son of God, and he is 
in a different way, the son of God's justice. Not S-U-N, but S-O-N. And as the son of justice, he wants to bring his healing to us, his light to us. So the question I think we are called to contemplate is, are we willing to live in that light and to receive the healing rays? Sometimes we like the dark. The dark is where our sins can be. Our dark are things we can do that we don't want others to see. Or a time where we can do things our way. The dark is also a place where we can really live our lives for ourselves and not have to think about anybody else. For nobody can see what we're doing anyway. But Christ is the light of the world. And that light will either burn us up or heal us, depending on whether we're ready for it. To be ready for the healing rays of Christ means being comfortable living in the light. Living in the light means living in the light of Christ. Living our lives in Christ, for Christ, with Christ. Loving the light of Christ. Ultimately, loving Christ and allowing our lives to be configured to his. Yes, there will be times of darkness as we live in the light, but Christ's light is more powerful than any darkness of our sin or any darkness that the world can put upon us. And if we live in that light, we will be more and more prepared for that light of Christ that will come with God's justice. We also know that when we live in the light, we are possibly, as the apostles, willing to be persecuted and martyred for our faith. It may not be a physical martyrdom, but it may be a martyrdom of reputation, a martyrdom of persecution, a martyrdom of judgment and criticism. And if we are to live in Christ's light and prepare for his healing rays as he brings his justice to us, we must be willing to accept that martyrdom as we live in Christ's light. It is easy, my brothers and sisters, to hide in the dark. But if we do, yes, we will be on our own. Yes, we will be able to sin with impunity. Yes, we will be able to ignore the needs of others. But we will not be prepared to receive that light of Christ that comes not only at the end of time, but at the end of our lives, when we go before the Lord to receive the justice of the Lord for how we've lived our lives. If we are to accept and see the light of Christ, the light of heaven, we must start living in this light now. We must make that light the center of our lives. And we must turn over our life to Christ, who died for us, who rose for us, and brings to us his healing rays that heals us now on earth and prepares us for life eternal. And now let us listen to Angela Dittmar, who sings what we all are by God's grace. I am the forgiven. you've done 
search for my healed scars And when I read the Bible I can't identify With the people and the teachings Yes, I recognize I've been the wayward prodigal Who finally came back home I've been the widow pouring oil your clock. I am the blind man whose eyes you've opened. I am the leopard whom you have cleansed. I am the sinner you love and died for. I'm the forgiven. That's who I am. been the man friends lowered through the roof before your feet I'm like the woman at the well who you arranged to meet a hung child amidst the crowd fed by blessed fish and bread I'm one among the many who heard all that you said Catholics in the News The Little Sisters of the Poor have filed a petition requesting that the Supreme Court affirm the religious exemption, protecting them from having to comply with the HHS contraceptive mandates of the Affordable Care Act. The renewed petition comes after several states, including Pennsylvania and California, sued the Little Sisters of the Poor in response to an exemption granted to them in 2017, after their last appearance before the Supreme Court. The states are arguing that even though there's injunctions uh, in this mandate, in this Little Sisters case in the country, it violated the law for the federal government to issue a religious exemption. 
says Diana Vern, senior counsel with the Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty, that is defending the sisters. The Little Sisters just want to go back to serving the elderly poor, she said. If the Supreme Court rules in their favor, they'll be able to do so. The Little Sisters of the Poor are a Catholic religious order dedicated to the care of elderly poor, in addition to those their vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. When the HHS contraceptive mandate was announced in 2011, the sisters were told they would not be grandfathered in and would have to provide contraception to their employees through their insurance plan, in violation, of course, of their religious faith. Despite being a religious order, the Little Sisters of the Poor did not qualify as a religious employer as they serve and employ people of all faiths. In 2013, the order first filed suit against the Department of Health and Human Services, claiming that the mandate was a violation of their religious freedom. This was granted, they were granted actually, an emergency injunction at the end of that year that prevented them from having to pay thousands of dollars in fines for not complying with the mandate. Three years later, the Supreme Court sided with them and ordered the government to come up with a solution that would appease all sides. In 2017, this solution came in the form of a new rule from the Department of Health and Human Services that exempted religious nonprofits from the mandate. Verm noted that throughout the six-year legal process, not a single person has been prescribed or presented as being unable to obtain contraception due to working for a religious employer under that exemption. In, in, its, own, in its own suit against the sisters, the state of Pennsylvania has admitted that there are many other ways for a woman to get contraception besides from their employer. However, they still are attempting to stop the sisters from having that exemption and trying to force them to issue contraception for their employees. If the sisters of the poor do not win this court case, they would have to pay thousands of dollars in fines to the government, which would be crippling. The little sisters of the poor going to the Supreme Court again to protect religious freedom. This week's Catholics in the News. Truth in the Media The true story of Irina Senor, a Polish Catholic woman who helped smuggle thousands of Jewish children out of the Jewish ghettos in Warsaw during the World War II, will be featured in a new historical thr- thriller film produced and starring Israeli actress Gal Gadot. Gadot, the Israeli actress who's well known for her role in the 2017 movie Wonder Woman, is co-producing the film. It's entitled Irina Sendler. She is producing this film with her husband in a new production company called Pilot Wave. The new film will focus on Sendler's underground activities in her arrest, and the drama becomes a race against time to save not only herself, but the identities of the hidden thousands who will face certain execution. Irina Senlo was 29-year-old social worker for the city of Warsaw when the German army occupied the city in September 1939. Using her connections from work, Senlo did what she could to help the persecuted Jewish people in Warsaw. A little over a year later, nearly 400,000 Jewish people, 
almost all of the remaining Jews in Warsaw, and roughly 30% of the total population of the city, were rounded up and forced to live together in a cramped 1.3 square miles called the Warsaw Ghetto. Conditions in the ghetto were grim. Space was crowded, food was scarce, and the sanitary conditions were horrendous. It was sealed by a 10-foot wall with barbed wire on top and guarded by German soldiers to ensure that no one could get in or get out. Undeterred in her determination to help the Jews in risking her own safety, Senlor was able to obtain a permit through her work with connections that allowed her to enter the ghetto under the guise of inspecting the sanitary conditions. In reality, she was working with the Jewish organizations inside the ghetto to smuggle out as many Jewish children as she could, who were then placed in either Christian homes or in institutions run by Catholic nuns. She was able to get children out of the ghetto in ambulances or through still-standing courthouses located on the edge of the ghetto, through the sewer system, and on a few occasions by using dogs. In 1942, Senler, who was basically went to the underground name of Juanta, became an active member of the Council for Aid of Ju- for the Jews, which helped rescue those still left in the ghettos after the mass deportations occurred, which took some 280,000 Jews to extermination camps like Treblinka. Senua eventually became director of that Department of the Care of Jewish Children, and in September 1943, months after the Warsaw Uprising left the ghetto destroyed, she continued to do what she could to help save as many Jews. It is estimated she saved at least 2,500 Jewish children from the ghetto. In October of 1943, Senua was arrested for her underground activities and sentenced to death, though members of the underground resistance were able to bribe her prison guards for her release in February 1944. In 1965, Irina Senwer was recognized by the Vad Vashim for her life-saving efforts when she was named one of the Righteous Among the Nations, an honor bestowed on non-Jews for those efforts to help the Jewish people during the Holocaust at great personal cost. She was also granted honorary citizenship by Israel in 1991. Senlor lived to be 98 and died on May 12, 2008. Irina Senlor, a new movie that will highlight the true story of a Catholic woman who risked her life to save others. This week's Truth in the Media. The District of Columbia Council is currently considering Bill number B23-0318. Should this bill pass, Washington, D.C. would become the second place in the country to decriminalize prostitution. The practice is currently legal in parts of Nevada. The Community Safety and Health Amendment Act of 2019, also known as Reducing Criminalization of Commercial Sex Amendment Act of 2019, is modeled after similar legislation in New Zealand. Unlike that model, which decriminalizes the act of a person selling themselves, um, but instead heavily penalizes the act of buying the services of a sex worker, the D.C. proposal would also decriminalize brothels, pimping, and buying sex. Supporters of the bill argue that adults have a right to engage in consensual sex work, 
Laws criminalizing prostitution, quote, impede sex workers' abilities to negotiate safe sex practices, screen clients, report incidents of violence, and access basic needs such as housing and other health services. So let me get this straight. Our nation's capital is looking to pass a new law that allows prostitution because somehow it improves the standard of living and helps them? Are you kidding me? This act would allow people to be exploited and legally to continue to be exploited. There's no way this can pass in our nation's capital. No way. I don't get it. Truth topic of the week. Pope Francis recently said, that the first Christian evangelization of the pagans opened up a very lively controversy as the early church discerned how to absorb new members from outside the people of Israel. In the Acts of the Apostles, Pope Francis said there was a very delicate theological, spiritual, and discipline issue that was addressed. That is, the relationship between faith in Christ and the observance of the law of Moses. They proposed not to impose circumcision on the pagans, but only to ask them to reject idolatry and all its expressions, Pope Francis related. The Pope also went on to say that the Assembly of Jerusalem, as described in Acts of the Apostles, offers us an important light on how to deal with differences and to seek the truth and love differences today in our church. It reminds us that the ecclesial method for conflict resolution is based on a dialogue made of attentive and patient listening and discernment carried out in the light of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit, Pope Francis goes on to say, in fact, that helps us to overcome closures and tensions and works in the hearts so that we can live in truth and in goodness and reach unity. This text helps us to understand so being basically one with one another. To be living in the presence of the Holy Spirit is exactly what being in a synodal way is. Pope Francis said, we ask the Lord to strengthen the desire and the responsibility of communion in all Christians, especially bishops and priests. Pope Francis goes on to say that the Acts of the Apostles describe the long journey of the Word of God, which he said must be announced everywhere. The nature of the church emerges from the book of Acts, which is not simply a fortress, but basically a tent capable of widening the space and giving access to all. Pope Francis said the church is called to be a church with an open door, a church that presents itself contrary to what the world sees and is more than buildings or even dioceses. The church is called to always be an open house of God the Father. That if someone wants to follow a movement of the Holy Spirit and approach seeking God, he will not meet with the coldness of a closed door. But the novelty of this must be that we must keep our doors open to everyone, which for some, is a controversy. The Pope said that the journey of the early Christians proclaiming the gospel began after strong persecution, which instead of provoking setbacks for evangelization, becomes an opportunity 
to really provide evangelization. That is true, Pope Francis said, true in the world today. Christians are not afraid. They must flee, he said, but flee with the word and spread that word everywhere. Pope Francis telling us the truth that the church must be open to all. Our truth topic of the week. Well, we have finished episode 193 of the What is Truth Catholic podcast. If you have any feedback about the podcast you wish to share, or just simply want to let me know how you're doing in your faith journey, please email me at deaconstevew, all lowercase, at gmail.com. Now, next week there will not be a podcast because I will be on retreat at Holy Solitude Monastery, with the sisters in Tonopah, Arizona. I would appreciate that you pray for me, that I have a holy retreat, a time spent away from everyone, and a time spent in the grace and presence of our Lord. May this time for me, as all retreats, be a time of renewal, of faith, and in growing in holiness. So I would appreciate your prayers. I also want to wish you all a a happy Thanksgiving because the next time the podcast will return will be right after Thanksgiving, which will be the first Sunday of Advent. Let us pray. Lord, help us to discern the truth, the truth you call us all to live. Help us to live in this truth so that we can be you created us to be truly free. And let us ask our Lady's help in this journey. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now, at the hour of our death. Amen. Until next time, in two weeks, God willing, this is Deacon Steve. I invite you to join me as we discover together what is truth. <laughs>